Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Good morning. So glad to have an opportunity to share God's Word with you today. And I know we're following up the week of Easter here, and it was a wonderful, wonderful season and time, and we're still fighting, of course, social distancing and the wonderment of coronavirus. Um, I know we all have some of that on our hearts and minds, but I'm looking forward to the opportunity to be with you in God's Word. And instead of standing up and and preaching to a, a, a screen behind me, I just thought, you know, the beauty, the beauty of the outdoors today would be a great opportunity, and I can have God's Word here with me. And I'd like for you, if you would, to turn to First Timothy. First Timothy is where we're going to look at today. I thank Thank Steve and Eric for giving me an opportunity today to speak uh, and to share with you guys after uh, leading for a few years in a, in a small church of some wonderful people. Uh, kind of missed the opportunity to, to teach and to preach. Uh, but my name is Sam Snyder, and I sometimes play a guitar up uh, with the praise group a little bit. My wife, Carla, and uh, we, we attend Covenant Community and enjoy being with all of you. And today we just want to encourage you. And so today I don't want to mince any words because I know the music has been good and the worship has been good and, and the things that we're doing each week virtually has been very helpful. But let's open in prayer and then we're going to dive in to some ideas from 1 Timothy that I think the Lord may share with us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share this with my fellow believers and to share, Father, how you work through Paul to instruct Timothy and to gain from that for us. We thank you, Lord, for this time. May your spirit lead and guide and direct, and may you speak, Father, to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. I have three things that I think will help us out today. Three ideas, three main concepts for this. And we're looking at how Paul talked to Timothy and, and how he instructed him. Because Timothy was a young preacher. He was a young man, and he had the, the role of overseeing a church there in Ephesus of, of helping to teach and to preach and to uh, guide elders and deacons and, and deal with so many people. So I've got three, three main things I want to tackle today, and I hope that they will help you. And with your Bible in front of you, I think it'll be even better. The first thing is this. What does Paul see from his years of experience that he wants to pass on to Timothy? The second thing we'll talk about is what will keep Timothy from being unproductive in his ministry? And then, of course, we'd like to apply that. Our third thing would be, how can these same principles help us in our walk with the Lord? So let's tackle the first one. If you would look at 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 5. We finish up today. I'd love for you to take time just to read 1 Timothy. As all these letters are, they're meant to be read just through. And I, I, like you, will take time and I'll read a chapter or two chapters. But when I sit down many times and take some of the books and letters of Paul and just read through them, it has the most impact on my life, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct. So let's look at these first few verses, three through five 
of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation. Rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love. From a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. As I look at that, I see in this first chapter and on further into chapter four, that in the end times, Paul is saying, and he believed he was in the end times, that Paul is saying there are some teachers, there are some people who are teaching some things that are strange and and really what you might call unbiblical. They are getting lost in in genealogies, in in legalism, in, in, in all sorts of things. And I think we can find that as Paul is trying to share with Timothy from his experience, he's saying, Timothy, there are certain things we, we can't leave. We can't leave faith. We can't leave grace. We don't walk away from the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We can't walk away from the biblical truths. There are certain things that we stand strong on. But there are times where you can start to go over to certain parts of the Bible and start arguing over things that we may not fully understand as if they were foundational truths. And so he's telling him, watch out for people like that. So what are people like that actually trying to do? And, and, and I, I'm going to be gentle with this, but I think you see it in so many ways. I think you'll relate to this, if you will. And if you're taking notes, so this is still on that first question about what's Paul trying to pass down. Well, he's trying to tell Timothy that there are people out there who just want to be seen. They just want to be recognized. They just want to be right. They just want to be in control. And I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but most arguments is, are based upon somebody just not getting what they want. And if control is what someone wants, well, obviously, if they're not getting to control somebody else, they struggle. Rather than offering the truth, they try to control with the truth. Now, it's funny and it's sad. The original being that wanted to be in control and to be recognized and to take uh, all the recognition to himself would have been Satan, a fallen angel. As we know, and you've heard it many, many times, he was leading worship. He was a beautiful angel. And in a desire of pride, he wanted to be worshipped himself. He led a rebellion. I think the source of people trying to control others and the source of false teaching or teaching that gets off is the desire to be recognized, to have people look at you rather than to look at God. It's not an unnatural thing. It's just still part of our fallen nature. When all glory should always go to Jesus, all true teaching should point us to the Godhead. Everyone that we are around, everyone that we try to influence, 
it should not be to draw them to see us in God's place, but to see how God works through us so they can then see God. And, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Be careful for people who go off on those tangents and just try to use them to control others. Here's a second idea underneath that same first topic. What's Paul trying to pass down to Timothy? Well, here it is. There are people who want to be your mediator with God where we actually have our own mediator. If you would, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, I get to work uh, as a spiritual director for Trace Dias, and, and I love those weekends of a spiritual renewal. I love the opportunity to share and to preach or teach with others. And consequently, people will want to have prayer. They'll want to be with you for prayer. When I, when I get to work with Carla doing a, a women's weekend uh, where we get to work and, and to help people, I just love that opportunity to minister. Well, you've got to be careful because just like Paul and Silas, just like Peter and John, just like any other normal human being who is trying to share Jesus, people see you there and you've got to point them to Christ. And so in those situations, people will say, hey, will you pray for me? And I got some really sound advice from someone just probably not too many years ago. And he said, if you're always the one praying for them, how is that helping them pray to the Father? And they gave me a suggestion, and I've tried to use it. I love praying for people, but I think it's better to pray with people. And I'll say something like this. Why don't you pray about that? And let me or me and Carla, let us just support you in that. And as you pray, we're going to be praying along with you. We're going to be supporting you in prayer. And help that person to look and to see their only mediator. That's Jesus. Does that mean we shouldn't pray for people? Absolutely. We should always pray for people. We should be lifting up people all the time. But as much as we can help people see and turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior, they may be young in the faith and you're just helping them to see it's their relationship with Christ. Not what I would do for them, but it's through Jesus. It's through him. There's no other mediators. We don't have to pray to any saints. We don't have to pray to anyone but God through Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to be able to do that. The Spirit will guide our prayers. I can give you some examples that will help you with that. If you'll think back in the book of Acts, there's several times in there. This is really important. And also in the Gospels. So if we begin with John the Baptist, they would come and they would say, are you the Messiah? Are, are, you, are you the one? And he would say, oh, no, there's one coming. <laughs> I'm not going to be worthy to, to untie his shoes. And he is the son of God. John deflected because he knew his role, and he pointed to the one to come. And then, of course, you have Paul and Silas. Oh, different times in the book of Acts. They wanted to come out and make them a, a God. They wanted to worship them in some way because of the amazing miracles God was doing through them. And Paul and Silas were just 
were just awestruck. They're like, no, it's not me. It's not, it's not Silas. It's, it's Jesus. And they would, they would deny any of this kind of worship towards them. And of course, Peter and John at the healing of the, uh, the lame man and, and other miracles in the New Testament. Many times people want to look to them and they would say like, guys, if you're looking to us as if by our own power, we can do this. Can't be done. Can't be done. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus Christ. And that's a balance. It's a balance to keep because you might say, thank you. I appreciate you saying something nice about what I said or what we did. And also not, not trying to go off into a long theological discussion, but always pointing people to Jesus. Because unfortunately, a false teacher, someone who would cause difficulties in the church, someone who might cause a problem, they like that attention. They want that attention. They may fall to that attention. They may like to be seen as, as holier than others. They like to be seen for, for the devoutness of their life. And that's an area where we can be very careful lest we fall. When we start realizing or trying to think that we are somehow beyond sinning, that we are somehow beyond our own pride, we get away from relying upon the Holy Spirit. So in our first thing, Paul is trying to pass on, like I said, things to Timothy that he saw. And he's trying to deal with false teachers. Another situation in there, and I'll just go ahead and read these verses if you don't mind. Turn to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Because the biggest thing that these folks who want to cause problems in the church like this is they're just wanting control. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And we'll read it to you. And just read along if you will. I'm reading the New American Standard uh, Bible as my version. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Listen closely to verse three. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared and by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. Now, in some sense, Paul is, is uh, recognizing that all that we have is available to us because it's sanctified by the word and by prayer. And, and yet people, some men, some leaders, some teachers at that time were saying, well, to be holy, you've got to abstain from this. And to be righteous, you've got to run away from that. Well, obviously there's things in my life I don't want to go and partake in that would be detrimental for me because they would be sinful. But telling me not to eat, oh, I guess uh, certain Jewish um, ceremonial uh, food laws and, and dietary laws, that may be more of a way of controlling. You'll probably remember in the book of Acts, there were some long discussions about should the new Christians who are Gentiles, should they follow all the law? And they finally came to understand that there's a few things that are pretty obvious that you'd want to stay away from, staying away from idols and, and certain uh, sexual uh, improprieties. And there's things we want to run from. 
uh, the Ten Commandments are still good. There's no doubt about that. They never did uh, get overturned. But men were starting to use, I guess, legalism and ways of controlling people. And the, the, the church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be controlled or manipulated by men or women. It is to be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. It is to be honoring to Jesus Christ. And when we try to control others, that's a scary place to be. We don't want to go there. So let's go just a little further. If you'll turn to chapter 6, verse 3 through 10 of 1 Timothy. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take any, can't take anything out of it. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the Bible says here that the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves for many griefs. And go ahead and I'll mention verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. I bring up these verses because men who are trying to lead people astray that Paul is warning Timothy about will go off long, long triads and talks and discussions about things that are just hugely controversial and disputing things about words and, and here and there, and, and they just miss the, the peace. They miss the joy. There, there are plenty of things that we have to stand strong on. But to argue over certain things that just don't really settle into the core of who we are seems to be a way that people like to control. Like, let's say a huge amount of knowledge someone may have. And that high level of knowledge, they may use that to lord it over someone. That's not beneficial to anyone in Christ. That doesn't help anyone to grow closer. And I have one that steps out there pretty quick. It says, suppose godliness is a means of gain. I'm going to just use one example here. and I hope it doesn't get taken wrongly. But when you give to the church, have you ever had someone try to guilt you into giving? You know, the Bible says that God wants a cheerful giver. And, and that's what we should be as a cheerful giver. I think biblically a, a tithe is, is definitely a biblical idea. That's a great concept. And it's something we should do. But if I can't give it cheerfully, I think I may be missing the mark. And, and I've heard this and I, I've heard this for years and hadn't thought a lot about it, but A.W. Tozier brings up about this example. People have said, you know, if you give God the 10%, you'll actually have more. You'll gain from that with the 90% that is left. 
you know, when I started tithing back as a young boy, once I got saved and started making, if I made $10, I gave a dollar. I never thought about getting more. I never was told you need to give because you'll get something out of it. That's one of those areas that really this verse is saying that if you suppose that godliness is some means of gain and you use that as a way to proclaim to people to give, that they're going to get more money out of this, they're going to get more blessings out of this, they're going to have more than they started with, it's almost like I'm attempting to sway you from an ungodly way, maybe from your love of money, maybe from your love of yourself. Can I get something out of it? This is an area I have to check myself on. I don't know about you, but when I was making 75 cents a yard to mow, <laughs> giving a dime at church wasn't as big a deal. When I was making $2 an hour working at Dairy Queen, giving my 20 cents per $2 wasn't a big deal. But when you start making some money and you need to take care of bills and you have more and you want to go on a vacation, and you want to buy a car and all these things start to add up. It's like the more money you make, sometimes it's harder to give. I got to go back and check. Am I a cheerful giver or am I a giver who's just trying to get back from something or is it giving out of fear? I don't want to be giving out of fear. I want to give out of love. That's just one example of sometimes how people might use something to control with. And teachers who would control and use things to control are kind of missing the mark. Now, a teacher who's mentioning a lot of blessings that are coming from giving, oh, they're there. There's a lot of blessings from giving. But we wouldn't want to just appeal to someone's um, love of themselves and love of money to try to get them to give or to guilt them to give. Well, let's move on. I think I may have belabored that point just a little bit, but A.W. Tozier does a good job of that particular example. So our question number two that I told you was going to get to was what will keep Timothy from being unproductive in his ministry? Well, let's deal with that. First of all, if you'll turn to 1 Timothy 6, let's look at verse 15 and 16. It says in the middle of that verse, chapter 6, verse 15, partway through that verse, it says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Can you imagine Paul just saying that and writing that out to Timothy and just so excited? So I would say of the seven things I'm going to give you, if you want to take notes, this is the first one of those. Of the seven things I'm giving you, I start off with keep Jesus as Lord of all. Paul, throughout all of his letters, are telling people this same concept, but especially to Timothy. If you keep the main thing, the main thing, you're going to be all right. If you're serving the Lord Jesus and you love him with all your heart, and you've not become shallow in your faith, you've not become backslidden, you've not be putting him on the back burner, put him in the back seat, you continue to walk with him as Lord of all, you're going to stay strong in your faith. Let me give you a second one. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at verse 12. I love this because Paul, prior to this, is talking about what the law is for and some pretty bad situations for people. But in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me 
because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I, I, he's saying about himself, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Let's continue with verse 15 and 16. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. My second tip for you that I think Paul has given Timothy is remember yourself. Keep yourself in the right perspective. Remember what God saved you from and what he made you for. When I think about my own life and the fact, excuse me, and the fact that Jesus saved me, that he brought me from a dead state to an alive state, that he pulled me out of the muck and the mire, that sure does help me to have more grace and mercy for others. When I forget what I was saved from, my judgment meter seems to go up. When I think somehow I had something to do with saving myself, I then start to become prideful and arrogant and think I can control others. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So first of all, we said to keep Jesus as Lord. And second of all, keep the right understanding and perspective of yourself. You may think you're a big deal, but uh, for me, I'll go to Walmart. I'll go someplace I've coached and taught in the county that I live in for so long that people will see me and I'll say hello. They'll say, hey, coach. But I love it when I walk up and nobody even knows me at all and could care less. And they see my wife because she took care of their mother or their father when he was older, or they helped their little child to be able to walk when they were delayed. And they say, Hey, Carla, so good to see you. Oh, and, and who is this? Oh, it's your husband. Great. Well, I bet he does something good. It just makes you realize you're not that big a deal. <laughs> you're just not. And it keeps you humble. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. The third thing is this. If you'll look at chapter two, verse one through five, it says, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And we read verse five earlier, of course. But in here, he's beginning, he's saying, pray, pray, pray. I took a job last year that makes me drive about an hour and 15 to an hour and 30 minutes each way. Prior to that, two years of that, I was driving to Hall County, which is just a little over an hour. People wonder, you know, how do you, how do you keep such a long drive? I've learned to pray. I've learned to pray and just talk to my father. I listen to some podcasts and I'll be honest, I put on a little bit of country music sometimes also. So I have a mix going on. 
But the most joyous times is when I take that time to pray, to pray for others, not just for me, to pray for others. And that's what he's saying here. I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. But then in chapter two, verse eight, it says, if you'll read down a little further, it says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So my fourth thing after my third was pray, pray, pray. My fourth thing is pray with others. <laughs> Find peace-loving fellowship. Rejoice together with fellow believers. Run from arguments that just don't matter. You can always have discussions. You can agree to disagree. Don't get into dissension about things. The most joyous times for me is at this table right here in my house. So I get to take the hands of my wife, Carla, and join her as she lifts up prayers for others, as we pray together for things, as God leads us in prayer. It's when I get with my son, Joshua, my son, David, some of my friends, Walt or Bo or David, Henson, Lord, and, and, just, and just get to talk with them and pray with them. My years as a wrestling coach, we love to be able to be successful. We love to encourage kids. But we got into the end of the season. We were praying before the season on how to do things. We would always share the gospel during our summer camps, and we tried to live the gospel throughout the school year. But inevitably, we would find ourselves at region or state. We'd get down beside the bed in our little room, and, and us coaches would get together, and we'd cry out to Jesus. And we weren't, first of all, crying out for how to win this match. We were crying out for these young men that they might see Christ in this wrestling sport that I get to coach for so many years and in our lives. Could we reduce anything that would stop them from seeing Jesus? And how could we let them see Jesus more? These are great times of prayer. So, yeah, number one, keep Jesus as Lord. Number two, remember where you came from. Remember how you were saved. Number three, pray, pray, pray. Yes, pray. But number four, pray with others. Get with others. Don't, don't, don't preach your prayers. Don't preach to those that you're praying with. I've done that myself. It's been a bad thing to do is to be praying and actually just try to tell somebody next to you something. Pray to God. Sometimes it's going to be groans. Sometimes it's going to be inaudible. It comes from down deep. But when you pray with others, it breaks down barriers and helps to build fellowship. Number five, and this is a good one. You'll, you'll know this one because you're already doing it, I'm sure. But in chapter four of 1 Timothy, verse 13, he says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching, exhortation and teaching. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love hearing Jim Simbla from Brooklyn Tabernacle. I like to put on some John MacArthur. I love uh, uh, John Piper. There's so many good podcasts out there. But your own personal time in the Word needs to be balanced to make sure that you're sharing what you read with others. Because I think personal time in the Word is incredibly important that you're getting the Word in you. But also be careful. Christianity is my personal relationship with God but I'm also part of the church and there's a corporate relationship. 
and it hasn't happened to me, but if you ever come up with something you think is a huge revelation from God that no one has ever heard before, and it's so out there, and it's, the world needs to hear it because no, none of the past 2,000 years of Christians have heard it, and it's not really just lodged in the Bible. You just got a new revelation. Be careful. The Word of God is always true, but it helps to talk with others who are mature Christians and to know what has been learned about certain scriptures. So number five for me is to be in the word daily, but also to be in the word with others. Let these ideas bounce off so we don't get in balance because as my friend Eric Colson preached one time, if you get a degree off of a ship going across the ocean, one degree off to the left or one degree off to the right, you're not gonna reach your destination. You're just not. Remember that sermon so vis visually and visibly. Now, number six, I only got two more for you. Number six, surround yourself with people who are not overly impressed with you. <laughs> surround yourself with people who don't always pat you on the back. Surround yourself with people who tell you the truth in love, but they tell you the truth. I mentioned some names already. My wife is very honest with me, very loving, but very honest. My sons, Joshua and David, very clear with me. When we're working a job and Joshua is a little bit OCD on some stuff, he kindly lets me know when I have done something a little too fast and not done it right on a tile job or something. But also from the word, if I share or preach something, I trust him to tell me truthfully where I may have gotten off or been confusing in some way. We need people like that. Walt and Bo, Walt Monroe and Bo Dorsey and David Henson. I've mentioned their names before, but these three men, I've got to work with them for years and some other great coaches over the years. They are never afraid for us to discuss things and to talk about them. Get people around you that love you, but they're not reading all the headlines about you. They're willing to be honest with you. Number seven. As you got those guys to sharpen, you remember? Number one, number one was put the Lord Jesus first at all times. Number two, remember where you came from. Remember your past. Remember how you've been saved and who you are now in Christ. You are a new creature. You are born again, but you were saved just like all the rest of the world has to be saved from a, a life of sin. Number three, we said pray, pray, pray. Number four, we said pray with others. Number five, we said be in the word and be in the word with others. Number six, we said surround yourself with people who don't always think super highly of you and they and they are able to give you a sound advice and truthful advice. And number seven, 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 14 through 16. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay a close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Number seven, be active in your gifting and your calling. Whatever you're called to do, in the Lord. Whatever you're called to do to use your talents and your gifts and your abilities, do it. Stay active in it. You know, there is a part of retirement. I retired from teaching in public schools three years ago. 
but I'm still actively involved in teaching. I, I, I'm actually teaching full time again. I'm staying busy, but I think if I just stopped everything, I might become a busybody, might become a gossip, might become someone who's difficult to live with, as, as Carla's told me many times. She needs me to work so that I feel better about who I am. But being active in your calling and being active in your gifting, it keeps you alive with God. It keeps you alive with others. It is vital to stay active and it shifts. It may change. There may be multiple career changes. There may be multiple things that you do. There may be more gifting added to you. You may go through seasons of your life where you do one thing or another. I found that I'm an encourager. I try to be an encourager. That's, that's where my success has come in teaching and coaching. But there are times that I have to be an exhorter. There are times where I have to be just very gracious and very quiet. There's times I have to talk more. But whatever your gifting is, whatever your ministry is, don't put it down. Stay involved in it. That's what Paul's saying, Timothy. He says, Timothy, you've been given a gift. Fan it into flame. Keep doing what the Lord's work is. What is your gift and calling? Carla, for the past couple of years, has been watching some of the grandbabies. And that's tough during the day to be with a one-year-old or a two-year-old and your adult conversation is down a little bit. But she steps back and she says, is this my calling? And for that time period, it is. And she gives it all she has and does it with all she has. And when we leave our calling or our gifting, we wind up falling to a lot of things. So these are seven good things we've given concerning Timothy. Keep Jesus first. Remember what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to, what you, who you are in Christ. Don't, don't think so highly of yourself that you missed that. Pray, pray, pray. Number four, pray with others. Make sure that you are praying diligently with others. Stay in the word. Let the word be rich in you. Study it and study it with others. Surround yourself with people who will keep you accountable and be honest with you. And stay active. Stay active in your calling. And you'll be able to stand strong as a Christian. So we had three questions. And and of course, the first one was, what is Paul saying to Timothy? What's he trying to pass on to him? Secondly is, what will keep Timothy from being unproductive? And we're actually to the end of this. How can these same principles help us in our walk with the Lord? I'm going to pull some notes up for this because I felt very clear as I was praying about this and reading on this. And and I'm trying to relate what Paul saying to Timothy. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, these few things to help you on this third question. How does it affect you? Then I have one example to end up with on the Lord's day here. So how can these principles help us? Well, number one, as you read 1 Timothy, look for all the admonitions for elders and deacons and young women and older women and widows and look and see if the same concepts that apply to a preacher like Timothy apply to us. Apply to us just in our daily life. Well, can we keep Jesus as Lord? Yes, we can. Can we keep him at the forefront of our life? Absolutely. If we're not keeping him there, we will find that we're more judgmental. If we're not keeping him at the forefront of our lives, we'll find that we go through big highs and big lows and probably more lows than highs. We'll find that we are having the wrong perspective on others. We find ourselves being less giving and more withholding and selfish. Keep Jesus as Lord. Consider how wonderful grace is to save someone like you and me. Know where you are weak and continue to be sanctified. Remember how much work God has put into you. 
how much patience he's had with you, I can't imagine. I could sit here for a long time and go instant after instant, day after day, where Jesus has been patient with me, where he's been forgiving of me, where he has brought me back from things that I shouldn't have ever let in my life or, or actions or thoughts or, or deeds that were just not as they should be. But, but Jesus, Jesus has been patiently sanctifying me and causing me and telling me to join in that process of sanctification. The third one, be kind and gracious to others. Don't be a controller or manipulator. Don't try to rule others. Fourth thing that we can go with Timothy on, pray, pray, and pray, and pray with others. We can do that. Next one, we can be in the word. Let's be in the word and let's bounce it off of others and let's make sure we're all learning what the principles of this word say says to us, how we learn from this. Get good teaching in your head. If you got to drive like I do, put in some podcasts. Keep them going. Let the word dwell richly within you. Choose teachers who are not trying to control you, who are not trying to bait you with your own selfish desires by saying, oh, if you do this, you'll get more and more in this world. Surround yourself with people who will teach the word in a way that's good for you. Be in the word. Choose your friends wisely. Submit to being in a fellowship. Sometimes church can get sticky. Hey, it always does. But you know, things get sticky. People get sticky. Any kind of group has its pluses and minuses. But at least in the church of Jesus Christ, we have God leading, guiding. And he says his church will always stand. And I'd rather be there working it out, sharpening with one another, listening to others, and letting myself be adjusted and changed to find out where I'm off or on and helping others also in that area. And be active in your ministry. You may not be a preacher like Timothy. You may not have to oversee elders and deacons. But we have a ministry. We have a ministry. My, my mother-in-law, past few years, has ministered to her, to her husband. My father-in-law passed away with dementia. She had a ministry. It's a powerful ministry. One of my, one of my sister-in-laws is raising three wonderful children. They're all very close in age and very young. She's got a ministry. I have, I have uncles and aunts. I have sisters. I, I'm so blessed. But you can see in people's lives, we affect others. Be active in your ministry. Because we all need people to invest in us. But like a river, we need to keep it flowing on out. We don't want to hold it like the Dead Sea. We'll let it continue to flow. And we need to be investing in others. Be involved. Stay in the fight for the gospel. Do not be a lone ranger. The long ranger winds up getting shot. Be one that works with others. Be a part of a group and you'll be able to stand strong in your faith. They remind you of a couple of verses that we've read already, but I want to bring them back out again. 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. And then 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. As we think about our lives, 
We don't want to be led astray by false teachers. In this time of the world that we're in, we don't want to be controlled by someone in a way that's ungodly and unbiblical. We don't want to be a manipulator. We don't want to be manipulated. We want people to come to Christ as they see the light of Jesus in us. And if we're praying, if we're in the word, if we're keeping Jesus as Lord, if we're living out this life, we will see that reflected. I feel led to, to share one example. And um, some of my friends have heard this example from me. And I, I just want to close with this, and, and I hope to wrap this up very quickly. But I, but I want to give this example. Maybe it'll, it'll bless you and your family today. One of the greatest ways that our kids see God is through us, through mothers and fathers, husbands and wives. Kids will see reflected in them uh, an example of God, the Father. They'll see the love of a mother. They'll see grace. They'll see compassion. They'll see kindness. When they see other things, it's not good. I was saved at age 16, right before my senior year started, right before I turned 17. And God did a lot of cleaning on this fish. But when I met Carla, who I got to marry and been married to since 1985, very blessed to be married to her. I, uh, I didn't do everything right. I kind of was selfish, controlling, and, and quite manipulative. I didn't realize I was manipulative. I had uh, taught at Dalton Public Schools for several years. I started selling a little bit of uh, insurance products and investment products, and that manipulative ways would get me my way a lot of times. I realized after several years and our, our children were born and we had, we had moved on over to LOJ that I was still being manipulative, still being controlling. I didn't even realize it. I would, uh, <laughs> this may sound funny, I would cut up some cheese and crackers and, and, and ask Carla if she wanted some. And, and if she did, great. She'd get some of them. But most times she'd say she didn't. And I would go back in to get a sip of soda or something. And I'd come back, she'd eat my cheese and crackers. And I'd get all mad about it. Just stupid things where where my countenance was not reflecting Jesus as it should. Well, after years of never apologizing, after years of, of kind of being a, a poor example, Carla got fed up with it at some point. And we were here at the house and I'd asked her for, I don't know, I've done this a hundred times. Do you want some ice cream? Do you want some frozen yogurt? And I would, she would say no. And I'd come in there and she'd sit down and she'd eat a bite anyway. And then I got to figuring out, well, every time I'm going to ask her, she's going to say no. I better put a little more in the cup. And sure enough, she'd eat more of it. And it was an ongoing thing. And I let that get frustrating to me. And I was just like mean about it. Wasn't good at all. So she finally said, she said, Sam, she looked at me. She left from the living room, came towards the kitchen because she knew it bothered me. She said, I think I'd like a little bit of that frozen yogurt now. And I said, okay. So I took the cup out towards her and she reached for it. I pulled my hand away and the cup hit the ground, just like a Matrix scene from that movie Matrix. Slow motion. The cup broke. The sherbet's on the ground. It's horrible. The spoon went flying. And I said, look what you did. Ooh, shouldn't have said that. Because all these years of me being a manipulator, <laughs> she took her finger and she pointed at me. She says, I didn't do that. You did. And then she went off and she said, I'm so tired of you making me apologize. I'm so tired of you making me feel like I'm wrong. 
I become a manipulator. I'd use my ability to speak and my strong personality to control. And my kids were seeing an unhealthy relationship. My kids were seeing an unhealthy relationship between me and my wife. And that reflects how God is seen to my kids. And while she was getting frustrated and she was letting me have it, which she should have, and I, I guess she should have gave it to me years ago like that. I turned and I said, Carla, I am so sorry. And I don't think I'd ever said I'm sorry before. And I said, Carla, I'm wrong because the Holy Spirit was convicting me. She said, yes, you are wrong. I said, well, I'll clean this up and I'll get us a little bit more of our frozen sherbet today or frozen yogurt, whatever it was we were eating. And she helped me clean it up. And we sit down and we talked and we wept and I begged her forgiveness and she gave it. And every time that manipulative, controlling way about me sneaks back up, I start thinking, how are my kids going to receive that? How's that going to affect them? And how's it going to affect my wife? And I have to always be mindful of things I do and say that I not let something of my past sinful nature come through. I could have been arrogant and said, no, I've never done anything wrong like that. But I always battle. I always battle. Most time I win because Jesus helps me. Sometimes I lose and fall short and his grace is there for me. But just like Paul said to Timothy, love God, put him first. Surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth. Pray and pray and pray. All these things are helpful to us as Christians today. And on this, the Lord's day, as we take time to think about how we can be closer to the Lord and walk with him. Let's surround ourselves with teachers and, and preachers. Let's surround ourselves with good instruction from the word. Let's surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth and not try to control us. And let's make sure that we are not trying to manipulate or control others. We are controlled by the spirit of God. We're not to be religious in the sense of controlling others by using all the things that Paul warns Timothy about. Thank you for joining today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. He is risen. Easter is wonderful. We really enjoyed that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for spending time here and giving us of your Holy Spirit and letting us partake of your word. Continue, Lord, to heal our nation, both from this coronavirus and to heal our nation spiritually. Help us, Father. And we give you the glory and the praise and the honor. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. May you be blessed today. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.